you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Let's see. What did it say? Arms in the vehicle. Okay, got that check. Legs in the vehicle. Got that check. Yeah, okay. So what happens now? Oh, wait, we're live? Hey, Chris Voss here. I was just making sure I got ready for the show per the announcer. Welcome to the Chris Voss Show, my friends and relatives and all those people listening to the show. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Thanks for being here. We have a returning guest, Jude Moore, on the show, my good friend from Ireland across the pond, as they like to say. His third appearance on the show. We actually had him back three times. We liked him that much, and I think you'll like him as well, three times as much as however you liked him before. If you didn't know him before, that's 300% more that you'll like him from zero. So that's a payoff, really, when it comes down to it. Anyway, guys, go see his books on goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss of mine. Go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Go to all those places we are on the interwebs. We're doing a lot of stuff over on LinkedIn. If you're not seeing what we're going on on LinkedIn, it's crazy over there. And also, uh, go see what we're doing on the TikTok. We're trying to be cool on the TikTok. It's not working, but we are getting lots of people that are watching the videos and thing. We're just not like TikTok famous yet, which probably is never going to happen. But you know how that goes. Anyway, he's on the show with us today. He's going to be talking to us about his amazing new novel. Uh, he's written, uh, I think, three books so far. And this one's a bit of a departure from what he's normally written about. We'll talk to him about that. The name of the book is called The Ghosts of Riot's past the troubled conflict in dairy through the eyes of a volunteer first aider jude morrow is on the show with us today we'll be talking to him about his book came out september 1st 2021 and we're going to find out more about it welcome to the show jude how are you i'm absolutely fantastic by the way i noticed something with your intro you didn't do the singy chris Voss show but you know the chris Voss show if you i can throw it in if you want please it's like it's the it's Chris a, Show dot com. How about, how about that? Is that good? Yeah. That's okay. I mean, we, we'll we try it. and we try and improv the ramble that we do at the beginning every time. We try and make it different so it's not the same. Because you know, it's, people get bored with that stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Chris, it's Chris doing his stupid stuff again, right? But, that, but that's a trademark. That would be like McDonald's I stopping the "I'm loving it" thing. I mean, you can't just do that. Don't or finger licking mm-hmm. good for KFC. It's just it stays. It's uniform. That's that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, you know, sometimes you know we just like to make the show different. You know, sometimes you gotta you can't give it to them all the time. You gotta you gotta make them miss it, Jude. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm I must I must actually note that down. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm very much head first kind of guy. So yeah. See, right now you, you know everybody's all up in arms. Like, damn it, he didn't. He didn't sing the intro. What the hell is going on? Is this even the show anymore? The Chris Wash show? Maybe it's not even the same guy. And they're, they're going to go listen next time to the next show and go, he better do it this time. And so, you know, you got to mess with people. You got to make them appreciate the, I don't know where the hell we're going. Let's talk about your, your, your book. So you've got a third new book out. You've written two books on neurodiversity and autism. Yeah, you've written two books on that, and then this third one is a novel. 
Is that yeah, correct? Is. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Where I'd I'd written why does daddy always look so sad the loving her place in the spectrum and was delighted to be on the Chris Voss show with both of those kind of book promoters mm-hmm. and I had to do the the third book where the first book was like my experiences going up through school and college mm-hmm. as an, an autistic child and then the second one was more like my social work career business career kind of motivationally speakery you know type of stuff mm-hmm. but then I realized like last year, I was like, holy crap, I have run out of life to write about. Where in last November, I was only 31, where I was like, I, I, I've chronicled literally my my whole life. So I needed to go to something different. And yeah. last year, around, it was, it was October and November last year. I mean, in, in Derry, every year, the, the Bloody Sunday Massacre is, is commemorated on the 30th of January every year the horrible day itself happening on the 30th of January, 1972, which meant that 2022 was the 50th anniversary commemoration of Bloody Sunday. And you know what? Even though I live here, have grown up here, I didn't know anything about it. Really? I I, I was really, yeah. And and I mean, I I was born in 1990. I'm a young, youthful go-getter and I didn't grow up through the troubled time. I didn't, I didn't, have any concept of violence in the streets and i thought you know what i'm actually going to make a conscious effort and get to know my local history a bit more mm-hmm. so I, I went to the first thing that anybody who wants to learn stuff goes to which is google or the internet or in my case like picture books mm-hmm. and i was looking through these picture books of the city and like riots everywhere i mean the place was horribly filthy with like barricades and burnt out cars and buses and everything and I noticed there was like these like young people, like teens, wearing like fancy like officery type uniforms, mm. and I thought, who are they? And some like wearing like white medical coats and stuff, and they were all children, and the, the white coats were way too big on them. And I thought, right, this is interesting. And they are or were the the Order of Malta Ambulance Corps, or would be known as the Knights of Malta. So I was thinking, Ooh. first first aid, that's a cool angle. I was like. Nobody's nobody's talked about that, I don't think. Mm. And I I ended up being correct. Nobody's ever written a book about it. None of them, the first aid corps of that time, wrote a book about themselves because what people don't understand, my city in 1969 became a self-declared autonomous zone where it uh, was, if anything, and I called it, it was called Free Dairy. That's the Free Dairy period, 1969 oh. to 1972, where... The residents of Free Dairy, which was an 888-acre perimeter area, barricaded themselves in to reject the police force, the Royal Ulster Constabulary and the British Army and mm. everything else, where it was just enough's enough. Because when you think of a humanitarian crisis, you normally think of people being displaced from their homeland. But we were the opposite, where we barricaded ourselves in. And because we barricaded ourselves in, other emergency healthcare services and provision couldn't really get access. So it was left to these teenage girls to provide healthcare. Now, it was mostly teenage girls, about three quarters of them. There were some boys, there were some older ones as well. But mostly it was these teenage girls that ran a healthcare network and they treated everybody without. Oh, wow. Wow. And so do you base the book around those teenage girls that were running the, doing the medical stuff? Yes. I do. Yeah. Where 
I mean, whenever the the violence really started, I mean, from 1969 onwards, the community needed them. They were a pillar of the community. They were overseen by some doctors and nurses and makeshift first aid posts that mm-hmm. were kind of scattered around the Free Dairy area. There was three like main ones. There was a lot of other little pop-up ones as well. And the work they did in these first aid posts is baffling, where it went beyond the limits of first aid, where they were stitching people up with like household needles and thread. They didn't have stuff. Like they didn't seriously. Really have... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so let's lay a foundation on why this takes place and, and the 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 events that lead up to Sunday a Bloody Sunday and what Sunday or what Bloody Sunday was. Can we lay a foundation on that and, and talk about how we got to that you know, why why we had to have free dairy and all this stuff? Well, with Free Dairy was established after the Battle of the Bogside of 1969. It was three days of intense riots between the Bogside residents and the RUC, the police force. And eventually, the Bogsiders won and mm-hmm. expelled the RUC from the area and barricaded themselves in. What, what, where, what, what prompted that? What was the disagreement? Well, the nationalist areas were mainly oppressed by a sectarian kind of government and a police force that... I suppose, propped up that sectarian government where, you know, Protestant and loyalist and unionist people got much more preference when it came to housing, healthcare, education, and even votes. So because of that, the civil rights movement was born in 1968, 1969, and it kept going forward even after those riots. And Eventually, in 1971, you know, the violence was a daily occurrence. The British government had brought in an internment policy. So anybody they believed was a member of the IRA or a sympathizer was basically thrown in jail. Long cash internment camp. Wow. So after a lot of kind of protest demonstrations and even they were banned, protest demonstrations were banned. But on the 30th of January, 1972, another anti-internment civil rights march was arranged Mm -hmm. and it took place and by half past four on that day men and boys were murdered on the street by the parachute regiment shot in the back mostly whilst running away from the troops wow 14th dying later of his injuries and that was the kind of a micro kind of explanation of the political situation here then and, you know, whilst this was all going on, you know, the, the wounded and the people that were in really awful condition health-wise were, were tended to by a teenage voluntary ambulance corps. Wow. Because I mean, you have on the cover, you have a, it looks, it looks like a young lady dressed in medical garb. And, of course, the rioting going on the back. And this was a big thing. A YouTube wrote about Sunday Bloody Sunday. I believe the song Sunday Bloody Sunday is, is a reference to this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an event of huge historical significance. It was a it was a catastrophe for the people who live here. It accelerated so many years of war and conflict yeah. in the uh, IRA. Yeah, I mean, of course, whenever you have the Parachute Regiment murdering thirteen people in one day, in basically one road, one street. You know, and it's such a small area, then, of course, it created community resentment, which made people take up arms and take the war back. 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I remember living through the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, I believe, with with the IRA, you know, doing all sorts of stuff, not only over there, but in England, in America, around the world. It was it was quite the, the uh, it was quite the, I don't know, the battle, I suppose, maybe is the right word. Well, it was. I mean, this was this was a conflict that raged from basically ni- 1969 to, well, 1994, 1998, kind of, you know, that kind of time period, you know, where the IRA had, I suppose, called their ceasefire in 1994. It was, you know, it had ended a couple of times in between until the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, which I suppose declared an end to the conflict as people mm-hmm. knew it at that, at that point where... I mean, and since then, like since 1998, there's been, you know, there's been lots of developments. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the bloody Sunday murdered, their names were cleared because the army had said that they were nail bombers, petrol bombers had been firing rifles at them and they just weren't. They were innocent wow. men and boys where a lot of people had written books. A lot of, a lot of RUC men wrote books. A lot of, you know, army officers wrote books, IRA men and women wrote books, but the kind of story that was missing was mm-hmm. that of the, the the first aid personnel, of which there were mm-hmm. many. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of their kind of vow to serve all the lords, injured, sick, and poor. Like the Order of Malta is a very, very long-standing thing. That's about twelve hundred years old. Wow! But the ambulance corps itself is only what about ninety years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the perspective just hasn't been touched. And what's interesting is they treated everybody. They treated wow. civilians. Army, paramilitary, everybody. They treated everybody without favor. And nobody's ever really kind of talked about it because I suppose whenever it comes to history, especially social histories, mm-hmm. there's a saying that is so, so true. It's like the creakiest gate always gets the most oil, <laughs> where that, that's what narrative gets pushed out into the public consciousness. And, you know, even post conflict, you know, you get kind of, you know, gates being creakier and louder. But mm-hmm. This one I, I did find, and I, I, I feel so almost blessed and lucky to have found something that was so rich with information and stories and people that were willing to talk to me about it Ah, that, that nobody had ever done. That was my next question for you. Were you able to interview people from the events? And then this is a historical novel, correct? So yeah. why did you choose to go that way with it as opposed to just telling maybe the stories of of the people that were involved? Because I wanted to capture emotion and a spirit rather than do an academic study of it. I mean, I wanted to kind of tell the story in a creative way that was sensitive to the events that take place in it, where Mm -hmm. I had become acquainted with the Museum of Free Dairy, who were fantastic in helping me get connected with people. And I'd, I'd... approached them to see if anybody that were in the Knights of Malta between 1969 and 1972 would be willing to talk. Mm-hmm. And so, some came forward initially. And I, I, I said at my first book launch that the first time I, I met them, it was, I met them all together and it was almost like having a first date with 15 people. Oh, wow. Where, because don't forget, there was, you know, this was 50 years ago. And they yeah. had, you know, tribunals, lawyers, journalists, other nosy people writing books and stuff like that, wanting to interview them. So uh-huh. I thought I'm going to have a different strategy <clears throat> where we, there's a truth serum that we use here in Ireland and it's, it's used in England as well. Is it called whiskey? Close. It's tea and cake. Oh, well, there. And 
and distortion. You know, so basically what I did was we'd met in a group setting quite a bit and individually and stuff, you know, and because some of them hadn't seen or talked to each other in 40 years plus. So it was an opportunity to reconnect with old friends, have some tea and cake, catch up. And then I got to eavesdrop and write down what they talked about where I had terms of reference at the start where I I didn't plan on talking to them about bloody Sunday because Mm. they, you know, there's reports out there that there was the Savile inquiry, which lasted what I think about 10, 11 years. And they'd all done statements for that. And I thought, you know, I'll use those because their stance isn't going to change. And I'd wanted to know about, like, how it ran, you know, their camaraderie, their friendships, you know, and other obscure kind of silly details, like, you know, what shoulders they wore their bags on, what was in the bags, any witty anecdotes. But what I did learn is that none of them had talked about Bloody Sunday among Mm. themselves. Oh, It had never happened where... Eventually, the conversation did turn that way. And with some anyway, there was definitely some elements of healing or closure because, Mm. you know, PTSD wasn't invented in 1972. Mm -hmm. You know, know, mental health care wasn't a thing. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't. And and, and most of the, the, the Bloody Sunday First Aid Corps were aged between 15 and 19. Oh, wow. And... I mean, some of them went to school like a few days later or went back to work. And, you know, what they had to do was just get on with it, keep busy and, you know, pray. Um, Because that was was the kind of standard mental health advice of 1972. And it was, you know, although 50 years later, some people definitely got got something out of talking about it and sharing their perspective on it and how it impacted them. And with some of those, they've actually been kept as appendices that are in the back of this book. So yes, it's a historical fiction narrative, but some of them have included their real stories in the back as well. How did you blend in some of the, between the real characters and people you interviewed and the characters that you put into the book? And I mean, I imagine there's a main character or some main characters that you have in the book. Did you did you base those on anyone real that you interviewed or did you totally fictionalize those in your head? Well, one thing I did want to do was to have Martha. This is Martha here. Mm-hmm. She's the main character in the book. Mm-hmm. And I kind of designed her to be a bit of a nondescript nobody. Oh. So what what I did was I from the kind of timeline between 1969 and 1972, you know, a lot happened. A lot of people witnessed a lot of things, and they've all been compiled into one book or mm-hmm. whatever, various other volumes that are read in the research phase. So I thought, see, like most of the highlights and lowlights, what I could do with a fictional observer is just place her there, but not really to interfere. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, yes, Martha tells the story. Martha is the narrator, but Martha doesn't do anything, you know, of any great note. You know, she's just there. Okay, and I mean, I mean, because with a real person, one person couldn't possibly have seen every pivotal moment in the free dairy story. But with the benefit of hindsight, I could create somebody that could be at all the right and wrong places at all the right and wrong times. Mm-hmm. And that that was that was the idea, and 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 that's how she came about. That's pretty awesome. Did you talk to anybody who was wounded in the in the events? 
Yes, I did. Where you you know what? Where see, even some of the, the first eighters themselves picked up injuries on Bloody Sunday. One was wow. shot in the face with a rubber bullet from about Ow. four feet. Those things travel at a hundred feet a second. Oh, I've seen what she, they do to human flesh. They're not like, cool. Like she uh she was wearing the gas mask at the time, which mm. no doubt saved her life. And you know, some others were abused, kicked, punched, spat on. I mean teenage wow. girls spat on by British paratroopers in uniform and probably one of the undocumented war crimes of the century in my opinion which just happened and people acknowledge it happened but it, it hasn't really been compiled in a, in a volume like I've done that that I know of and I mean there was because there's still people here that were there on, on mm-hmm. Bloody Sunday I mean I spoke to many of them who were there who I mean some carry you know not just kind of physical injuries from that day and time or that time period but the 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 trauma the sadness the loss the bereavement and mm-hmm. everything so I felt a real responsibility to tell the story correctly and factually and not have Martha do anything otherworldly in it that would be ridiculous you know i wouldn't i, I wouldn't have i wouldn't have placed her with you know cer- you know at certain points mm-hmm. and do you cover the events of that day or and and thereafter and the fallout or yeah. how does the book go through the process it probably sets up the characters beforehand and then before the events happen and then gets into the details from there yeah, it does. Where, I mean, the 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 kind of outline of of the the story is, you know, I I I have this, you know, Martha who experiences a family bereavement is inspired to join the Order of Malta. You know, a very standard storyline. I mean, it's it's simple as as anything. It's just a very simple storyline. And then, you know, whenever she joins the Order of Malta Ambulance Corps, that's the real people. Because I mean, some of them were were first aids, you know, service first aiders for for forty five, fifty years plus. A couple of them are actually still in it. Where and 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 different guises, where you know they've they've climbed the ranks and you know are in leadership roles now, and you know have been in it all their lives. Um, so it's kind of getting the focus on on them and 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 what they did, where. You know, not necessarily as as individuals, but as a unit. Mm-hmm. You know, and to kind of capture all of all of as much of their service as possible to kind of really stress the importance of this is how important these people were to the community at that time, where this was a populace of about I don't know, maybe like Free Dairy. How many people live in Free, free Dairy? I don't know what I guess about forty thousand. Forty thousand people—that's just a blind guess, an approximate. Where ambulances wouldn't really have come in, law enforcement certainly didn't come in, the army didn't come in, nobody came in. You know, so it was very, very hard to get you know medical aid, first aid, and even spiritual aid inside that barricaded seclusion zone, wow. which had to be provided by these heroes here. That is that is wild what took place on that day. And I think there's film of it too and stuff, isn't there? Oh, there is. I mean, there's photographs. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was tons of, like, and most of the kind of pivotal days of, of my study's history, I mean, there was cameras there. 
There was the news were there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everything from amateur filmmakers, actually one of whom was was murdered on Bloody Sunday. William McKinney oh, wow. was, an, was an amateur filmmaker who had a cine camera with him that day. And yeah. that cine camera is on display in the Museum of Free Dairy here. So, oh. I mean, the, the events from then were very, very well documented mm-hmm. by many different people because... I know now we like we have social media, we have the internet, you know, we have filters and whatever else. But back then a lot more people were diarists, photographers, you know, and you know, there was people gave a bit more of a personal kind of social story where there's not many diarists anymore, is there? It's a bit of a dying art. Uh, I wrote that in my diary last night. There's not <laughs> many dying not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I use Facebook kind of as a diary, you know, Facebook posts, which sadly my my followers have to, it's like, what did he write today? And, uh, you know, so I use that as a diary. But yeah, you're right. But a lot of people aren't around today doing that. No, there's not. And, you know, with the with your Facebook as your diary, yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite things that I do with my coffee. I listen to the Chris Voss show and then I look at your Facebook and then I roll your eyes and say, ah, he's just, he's getting closer. He's, and going, closer on a, he's going on again about whatever. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Never change. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's always something to get up your ass every morning and Right about on Facebook, I suppose. I don't know. So there you go. Well, this is this is a hell of a historical thing. It had an impact in long term in the history of our of our world. Has has hasn't these things ever been settled up finally over there in Ireland? Is everything okay these days and everyone's getting along? Well, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say everybody's getting along. I would say, <laughs> you know, the the killing of one another isn't as, isn't as frequent. Murdering is down. That's good. Which is a which is a wonderful thing. I mean, that's it's it's a good step in the right direction. Things are a lot better than what they were. But mm-hmm. uh, it's funny, you know, with because another interviewer asked me the same thing. It's like, you know, so are things okay over there now? Like, I mean, I I didn't live through the the real dark days. But what is interesting is that with the amount of people that I did speak to during the dark days, they still had happy times, they made good memories, they raised their families, they went to their jobs, and, you know, a lot stayed friends, where even though where the where I lived was an active war zone for three decades or more, Jesus. good times did happen in there too, as well as the tragic, sad, pivotal, world-changing ones. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was important to capture as well. Yeah, where, the humanity you know, of it. Life went on, time, you know, came and went. And, mm. you know, it, it was it was just, it was a very, very interesting time. And I loved researching it. I loved getting into it. And I, I still feel some sense of shame and embarrassment that I didn't know much about it 52 weeks ago. Mm. And, like, I'm learning more and more about it every day. I think I've taken on, like, a oh, life, wow. lifelong interest in, in local history now. Maybe another book is in the works there. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. There maybe, you go. maybe it is. You know, it's but it's important, even with historical novels, they shine a light on history that needs to be, you know, needs more feature. The one thing man can learn from his history is that he never learns from his history. And so we need to learn from our history and we need to educate ourselves on what took place so we don't repeat it. That's always exactly. a good thing I hear. I don't know. That's what I'm going with. No, uh, it, is, it, is, it is a good thing and I mean 
<clears throat> it just goes to show with e- even with the ghosts of riots past, it's like even though a lot of the events took place 50, 51, 52, 53 years ago, mm-hmm. that the, the story's still being told after all this time and will probably still be being told in 50 years time in new ways and from new perspectives and you know new things come up like things up here in attics boxes of photographs diaries notes documents artifacts that can keep on telling the story like even even with the the titanic like the tight the titanic's lying in the bottom of the Atlantic, 110 years, and they're still finding new stuff down there. They're finding new mm-hmm. artifacts, bits of jewelry, chairs, you know, whatever. They're still finding stuff down there, and you know, things are coming up here and there where the story's still being told and will right. probably be told forever. I at least I hope it does. That's what makes it interesting: the humanity of it all, what to, we can learn from our experiences, stuff like that. It's of course a historical novel, so we can't tell you what's at the end and give away most of the middle work. Anything more you want to tease out on the book? I think whenever people read it, people are shocked to find that they didn't know a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that was that was in it. Where. I mean, with the first aid story, it's never really been told in one volume in in this kind of depth. And I mean, I th- it's it's just it's it's amazing to me. Even you know, even still, like I mean, I'll I'll kind of let you in on an author secret. Oh, Maybe there we got go. An author we secret. got an author secret. But for the last two books, I'd read them so many times before they were released mm-hmm. that. I was like, ugh, where I counted how many times I've read this book. Uh-huh. And I've read it 26 times. 26 times? Holy 26 crap. 26 times. And I and I, you wrote it. And I wrote it. I know. I know. I, I, I put it down on paper. And I don't I don't get sick of it, which is a good thing. And I think it's going to be a... It's going to be very hard, kind of getting into book four now. But I suppose I'll I'll pick myself up and you know go go forward with it. But I mean, even for other people, like to look at the first aid perspectives, like even during the wars, any wars, there was first aid efforts, humanity, humanity, and even though there's some really disgusting, vile things that happened in the world, there were mm-hmm. good people like the Order of Malta that tried to put smiles on faces, wipe away tears, dress wounds, and basically let people like me know that there's some good people out there and that humanity isn't fucked. Yeah, that's the beauty of the humanity of it all, really, when it comes down to the experience of human nature. So, yeah. Well, this has been pretty insightful. It's been wonderful to have you on, Jude, again. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Okie dokie. Well, look at my website, judemorrow.com. You can pick up The Ghosts of Riot's Past at Barnes & Noble, online, Amazon. If you're local to Derry, Little Acorns Bookstore, shop local, support local. And yeah, reach out to me. I mean, I'm, I'm on all the social medias. I'm a big, awkward-looking man with a beard. and My name's Jude Morrow. And I love talking about it. I love answering questions about it. And I like offering like an interactive 
reading experience. So even if you're like listening or watching this in like 10 years time through like VR, or if they invent like a microchip that's implanted in your brain <laughs> where you can, you can program your brain to put on the Chris Voss show every, every morning, still reach out to me because I'll yeah. probably still love this topic in 10 years time as much as I love it now. It sounds like you really love it and you're really proud of the work you've done and, and uh, you've done it interesting enough. I know people online have been gushing about it, so it's been pretty awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Jude. We really appreciate it, man. And Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Me. Thank you for coming again. We'll look forward to the fourth book. There's some pressure for you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or if the book, folks, wherever fine books are sold, The Ghosts of Riot's Pass. The Troubled Conflict in Derry Through the Eyes of a Volunteer First Aider. Learn about history. Learn what took place. And it's, it's it's interesting how much there is that you don't know you don't know. And so learning about this stuff is pretty cool. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Be sure to see all our places on the interwebs. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out, Jude.